0: As you are seated, grab your Bibles and go to Philippians chapter 2. We are finishing a series today that we started the first Sunday of April and that we wrap up today. Our ushers are going to come down the aisle. If you don't have your Bible today... Uh, every Sunday we, we use the Bible, we open it, we read from it, we learn from it. If you, if you need one or don't have one, just wave at the ushers, they'll give you one. It'll be the same kind of translation that I am reading. We've given away more than 400 Bibles since our church began, just like this. So if you need one, take it, write your name in it, it's yours, it's our gift to you. Um, and thank you for, for being here with us today. If you just forgot your Bible, but you'd like to have one in your hands to track along, that's great. Use it and just throw it on the table when you leave. And flip over the, uh, the back of your... Uh, bulletin so you can take notes with us today and we enter week four of a series that was intended to as we rolled out of Easter teach all of us four little things that we could do spiritually that would have big spiritual impact so we named the series big not because I'm asking anyone to do anything big but by doing small things I believe we can create big spiritual impact in your life the first week of that we, we, we talked about the big picture and we said, hey, here is the big picture. Every Christian needs to be aware that what's most important to Jesus is what we call the three greats. The great commandment, love God. The great commission, love people and help them know Jesus. The great compassion, help hurting people. We said, great, we, we want to be a church that's known as great commandment, great commission, great compassion people. That's, that's who we want to be. We want to get the big picture and live our life according to that. The next two weeks, we looked at prayer. And we said, prayer is a little thing that we just do a little bit of the time but if we would begin to pray it would have big impact on our spiritual life and in our intimacy with Jesus. So two weeks ago we talked about prayer, we went through the Lord's Prayer and taught the outline that Jesus taught his disciples so we could understand how to pray. Last week we came back and we looked deep into the book of James at what we called prayer problems James said if you're going to pray and you do these things, think these things, live this way, your prayers will never be answered. So if you're gonna pray you need to know what will cause problems in your prayer life and get rid of them and, and those three have been important messages for me, but kind of what I would call lifetime messages for me. Those are purpose messages for me. I wrestled through the Great Commandment, Great Commission, Great Compassion thing for a couple of years before we started the church, and I feel like that's very important to me now, and I feel like I live my life and lead my church as a Great Commission, a Great Commandment, Great Commission, Great Compassion type of Christian. So teaching that message was awesome, but it didn't impact me much of that week. Like, I didn't think about it all day every day the prayer messages God's God last year really spoke to me in 2012 that my prayer life was lacking so I had spent a lot of time studying prayer trying to dive into prayer trying to really understand God through prayer last year so when I got to it this this week I was passionate about teaching it but it wasn't something I thought about every day because I was engaged in it. And the prayer problems from James I love but because I've realized how important prayer is I try, I try not to do those things. So those three messages I feel like could have a big impact on the people of our church, but they, they weren't something that dramatically impacted my life like this week's message. And this week's Bible study that we're getting ready to dig into in Philippians chapter 2 um, has been something that I promise you at least a hundred times this week I have thought about and it has stopped me cold in my tracks. And our Bible study today, based on Philippians chapter 2, is called the big attitude problem. And I want to talk to you and teach about today what I believe is the most glaring blind spot in the church today. And the, the church has their, we have our list of sins that are really bad. And we project those sins on others, and we project those sins upon ourselves. But I don't know that any of us would list in our, top, in our top 10, maybe our top 50. I don't know that any of us would list in our top 100 That one of the most grievous sins that Christians in the church today could commit is to have a bad attitude. But I believe if you were to ask people outside the church, how they judge people inside the church, like in their top three reasons why people don't go to church, don't like Jesus, don't like Christians or respect Christians, in the top three would be because of the attitude that Christians display in their life outside of church. And we find out from the Apostle Paul that attitude is pretty important. Now, there are not seat belts on your chairs, but if there were, you would want to put them on today because we are getting ready to dive into some deep, personal, heartfelt confrontation in this message. So I want you to hold on to your chairs. I want you to listen closely, and I want you to catch what Paul is trying to teach us in Philippians chapter 2. If you have your Bible, you may already be there. Philippians chapter 2 in the NIV. That I am in reads this way. This is Paul to the church in Philippi. Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 14. He says, Do everything. I want you to circle that word everything. What is everything? Everything is everything. Say, so Well, what is the Greek word for everything? It's everything. Everything is everything. I had a professor in college that used to say, All means all, and that's all all means. Like, all means all. Everything means everything. So, do everything. Now, like, what is Paul talking about? Everything. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like the stars in the sky. Now, the New Living Translation that puts it in a little more secular English for it today, I love what it says because I think it's more pointed, and I think if we remember anything, we want to remember the first half of this verse from the New Living Translation. Paul says this in the New Living Translation, do everything without complaining. Now, I want to stop right there and listen to see if you just heard that. Do everything without without complaining. Do everything without complaining or arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean. Innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Paul's message to the church is, if you all want to stand out in the world, if you all want to have influence for Jesus, let me tell you where it starts. Live a life where you stop complaining about everything so you'll stand out as different. Now, as I've been studying this all month long, and I've been really reflecting on this this week, I believe that the church, when I say the church, Christians in general, I believe that the church has an attitude problem. I actually believe they have two. And it's not the specific attitudes that I, that I want to speak to. You're not saying, well, I wonder if it's one of my two. No, it's, it's, a, it's an area of attitude, not a specific adi- attitude. But I believe after studying what Paul wrote and going through the Bible and trying to understand what he was saying, I believe the church has two major attitude problems that I want to share with you today. And I believe, like I, I had people coming up to me after the first service today apologizing to me for their attitudes and I didn't even know what was going on in their life. But this message is going to hit home for some folks today like it hit home for me. The church has two attitude problems, two areas of attitude problem that we need to look at today. Because if we want to have influence in our community for Jesus, and man, I know I do. If we want to have in influence in our homes for Jesus, influence in our neighborhoods for Jesus, influence for our jobs in our jobs for Jesus, then we have to fix this area because some of us, Our attitude is keeping people from seeing Jesus. We need to recognize two big things, two big attitude problems that I want to make you aware of today. The first is this. We have no awareness of our attitude. We have no awareness of our attitude, and even more than that, how our attitude is impacting people. And Paul, first and foremost, to the church in Philippi, says, Listen, you all need to be aware of how you're acting and how other people perceive you. He says this in the New Living Translations, do everything without complaining and arguing. What does that tell us? They were a bunch of complainers. They were people who were arguing about anything and everything. But in the NIV that, that I was reading, he, he gives an incredible backdrop, which teaches us an incredible lesson beyond do everything without complaining and arguing. Let me read it to you in my Bible. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Why? so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Now, you probably don't see it there, but if you look at your Bible real closely in verse 15, where he says, so that you may become blameless and pure, and then it has quotations, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation, quotations, he's quoting an Old Testament verse there. That's why they threw those quotations in. Paul is teaching us a present-day lesson and he's saying, the way you remember this lesson is by remembering what happened before you. Do everything with, without complaining and arguing. Why? Paul says, so you won't be like them. L- like who? Let me give you the backdrop. And let me tell you how important sometimes it is to understand a backdrop. When, when Danielle and I fell in love, I met her my, my junior year of college. It was her freshman year of college. We met in August, and we were engaged by December. I mean, I just knew she was the one that I wanted to marry. And over Thanksgiving break... I knew I was going to go home and buy her ring that I was going to present to her on Christmas break. So I took one of my best friends from high school with me, and we went to a jewelry store. One of my friends' moms owned and operated a jewelry store. And I walked in, and I said, you know, I'm, I'm dating the most incredible girl in the world, and I'm going to ask her to marry me, and I, I can't spare any expense, because she's the greatest in the world, and I need literally the greatest thing you have in the store for under um, <laughs> you $900. Know, and she did what you did. She just laughed. And I was like, seriously, I was a pizza delivery boy. Um, in college, as my part-time job, I work at Pizza Hut. I, I wore the hat and the shirt and had the little triangle that light lit up on top of my car. And I literally had like a pocket full of cash and tips that I had got from, from being a pizza delivery boy, which is why if you ever deliver a pizza to my house, I'm going to give you a big, fat tip because I've been there, done that, um, and I've kicked people's dogs on the way out who haven't tipped me. So I, I know how that works when, when, when you're underappreciated. So I said, you know, I need the greatest, biggest, best thing for under $900 because that's, that's all I got. And she got this little bitty diamond. And I was like, ooh, that's not going to be good. And she said, hang on, let let me show it to you in a different way. And she took it out of the ring and she put it on this black cloth and she shined a light on it. And it was like with the black backdrop and the light hitting it, it was like, okay, that is beautiful. That will work. What Paul does here, Paul gives us a simple statement: quit complaining. Fix your attitude. But then he lays out a black cloth behind it, and he said, let me show you what I'm doing. And he quotes a verse from Exodus 32. Exodus 32 is titled, The Song of Moses in the Old Testament. Now, when I was in high school, there was a, a, an artist by the name of Beck, and he sang a song called Loser. And the chorus of this song was, I'm a loser baby, so why don't you... Okay, so you have heard the song, I'm a loser, baby, so why don't you kill me? Moses' song went something like this. He did not write it about himself. He wrote it about the Israelites. And here's what Moses' song said. They are losers, baby, so God, why don't you kill them? I mean, that was the thought of Exodus 32. Moses was writing about, listen now. Moses was writing about, I believe, the most blessed generation spiritually in the history of the world. I want you to think about these people that Moses was writing about in Exodus chapter 32. And you might want to argue and say, well, you know, weren't the disciples who actually walked and talked with Jesus more blessed? Maybe, but I I believe, man, this group in Exodus was as blessed as they came. This was a group who had lived through the ten plagues of Egypt. If you've seen the Ten Commandments or um, the Prince of Egypt or any of those movies or know anything about the Egyptian plagues, they had lived through that. This was a group of people who had walked through the Red Sea like, like God parted it and it was on either side, and they, they walked through. This was a group of people that every day for 40 years, they got up, and in the day, they saw God as a cloud, and at night, they saw him as a pillar of fire. This was a group that God personally fed these people. This was a group of people that God personally spoke to them voice to voice from on top of a mountain. I mean, this was a group of people who I believe experienced God in a way that no other generation in the history of the world, before them or after them, had experienced God. I believe this was the most blessed spiritual generation in the the history of the world. And they were, without a doubt, the, the least gracious, most complaining people in the history of the world. They just were. And Moses got to the end of his life in, in Exodus chapter thir- or, or Deuteronomy chapter 32. And God said, remind the people what type of people they were so they don't go forward anymore. And Paul actually changed the word. Moses, writing about them, said, you are a crooked people. Your entire generation is crooked. Why? Because of the way that, that you complained. Now, let me ask this question before I lay out to you the problems of Israel. How's your attitude this morning? How would people engaged in your daily life the last five days or the last few weeks or, or this year? How, what would they say about your attitude? What attitude box would people fit you into? You say, well, what do you mean by that? I mean this. Are you a negative person? Like, would the people who interact with you on a daily basis say that you're just a really negative person? Are you a pessimistic person? Like, you just always think the worst about everything? Are you a skeptical person? You never really believe anything good that anyone says or does, and you just, you're just constantly a skeptic of everything. Are you brooding, just never happy? My kids, I told the early service, my kids sometimes at dinner will say, Dad, you haven't smiled yet today. You know, I, sometimes I get very locked in, very serious, and, and I become kind of a brooding person in, in the eyes of people. I'll just walk past them, laser folks, and not even realize that they're there. Are you sarcastic? You always have some smart aleck comment about people or stuff or things, and you're kind of only half kidding, but you're half serious, and no one wants to be around you because you just, you're always sarcastic. Are you arrogant? And you just think the world of yourself and everything around you. And, and people would describe you as having a really arrogant spirit. Are you self-absorbed? Like everything in life is, is about you. And you always worry about you much more than you worry about anyone else. Would, would people look at your life and say that you're just totally self-absorbed? Are you argumentative? Are you argumentative? You like to start arguments and you like to fight and, you know, whether in life or on Facebook. You like to, you just like to poke and prod at people. Do you like to play devil's advocate with people? Even when you don't mean it, you just, you just enjoy stirring up conflict because it's fun to watch. Are you kind of a worst case scenario person? That you just can never see the good in anything because something has been bad. How would people describe you as they look at your attitude? Because Paul looked back at the worst generation in history. And he said, don't be like them because, man, like, their attitudes are so bad. If you track these people, Israel, let me tell you about these people, Israel. These, this was a people who their families, their generations, their grandparents and their great-grandparents had been in slavery for 420 years. And Scripture says that for 400 years they had cried out to God, get us out of slavery, get us out of slavery, get us out of slavery. And God got them out of slavery. And after three days, they started complaining about the way that God got them out of slavery. And they actually said this words. Well, if we'd have known this is the way it was going to happen, we would have just stayed in slavery. This was a people who cursed God because of their lack of food, and when God fed them, said, we don't really like that food, can we have different food? This was a people who begged that God would give them water, and then when God gave them water, complained at the timing and the location of the water, or how it was going to come about, even their leader Moses. This was a people who lacked understanding of God and begged Moses and begged God to have God tell us. that We don't know who God is. Can, Can you just get God to explain to us what he's doing and what he wants from us? And when Moses finally went on the mountain to get from God what God wanted for them, they said that takes too long, so we want God to explain himself, but he's taking too long, so we'll make a new God. These were people who felt distant from God, and they were upset that only Moses got to be close to God. So they said, you shouldn't be the only one who speaks to God. Why can't God speak to us? So God came down on the mountain and spoke to them, and they said, no, that's too freaky. We, you know, just do it the way it was before. This was a people that complained about being in the desert, and then when God took them to the edge of the promised land, complained about going into the promised land, this was a people who Moses went up on the mountain and told God, remember the the story, the the Beck song? Told God, just just kill them. I I agree with you. They're terrible. I don't like them. They are losers, baby, so why don't you kill them? And here Paul looks at a church in Philippians. By the way, the church of Philippians, the church at Philippi was one of Paul's favorite churches. Like when you read the things that Paul wrote, right? Paul wrote the book of Romans and 1st and 2nd Corinthians and Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians and Colossians and First and 2 Thessalonians and 1st 2 Timothy and Titus and Philemon. Some people think Paul wrote Hebrews. I mean, Paul wrote to a lot of people, he liked the church at Philippi more than any of them. As a matter of fact, he also he often said to the other churches, he said it several times in, in the book to the Corinthians, why don't you be more like the Macedonians? The Macedonians were the Philippians. Macedonia was kind of the state where they lived. He would say, Y'all need to be more like these people. And in the context of his writings, when you look at the letters he wrote, the friendliest most personable, most how you doing, most I love your church letter that he wrote was to the Philippians, except for this one thing. They had bad attitudes. And Paul said, man, I love you, and I love your church, and I love what's going on, but I'm telling you what, if you all don't stop complaining about everything, the world's going to look at you like we look at the Old Testament Israelites, and they're going to think they're spiritual losers. And why doesn't God just run them out of town? This, this group, the Israelites, was a group of people that dared God to de-bless them if he wouldn't bless them more. Say, what do you mean by that? Let me, let me give that to you again. They dared God to de-bless them if he wouldn't bless them more. Say, how do you mean? I mean, they, they were living at a zero blessing. He said, God, get us out of slavery. And he took them to a five, and they basically said this. If you don't take us right to ten take us back to zero because you need to be on our terms on our timetable and they just constantly complained about everything now I look at this and I think man by far that has to be the worst Paul called him a generation Moses called him a generation has to be the worst generation in the history of the world right but then I look at not all Christians but I look at American Christians in the American church today and I think man we have to be a close second do we not to a group of people that complains about everything. I mean, we complain about everything, do we not? I struggled with this this week because I had to travel. Have you ever gone through an airport and not felt like complaining about something or someone? And all week long, I'm traveling. And I must have caught myself a hundred different times getting ready to complain about something stupid. But that's what we do. We, We complain. When it's cold, we talk about how we can't wait till it's summer. And when summer comes, we talk about how hot it is, and we can't wait for winter. And then when the temperature's perfect in the spring, we just talk about how bad the rain is until there's a drought, and then we complain about that there's no water anywhere, right? Uh, my wife and I have just been thinking about some of the things in, in our own life that we complain about. You know, a year ago, last year, we complained all year long about how much our cell phone bill was, um, because we were on a cell carrier that was just charging us hundreds of dollars. So we were, we were able, through tweaking some things, to get our cell phone bill from like collectively $240 a month to $40, um, and then we started complaining about how bad the reception was of the new carrier that we had. We are a generation, right? I mean, 70% of the world has no transportation. They walk everywhere. So we're in the top 30% of the world. If you have transportation, you're in the top 30% of the world. And what do, what do we do? Those of us in the top 30% of the world, we, we complain about how much the gas costs, Right? I love the community that I live in. I love how it's laid out. I I, I love the school districts of my community. When I came back from India in February, I was so glad that the roads were paved and there were stop signs and there were stoplights and there were police officers who enforced stuff, but we complain about the taxes we pay to make that stuff happen. Do you get my drift? We complain, 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 complain. And Paul looks and says, don't be like that. Don't be like that because the world is watching. And even if you're not aware of your attitude, they are. You know, in Philippians chapter four, verse two, this is how bad this got for the, the church in, in Philippi. I want you to go ahead and turn there if you have your Bibles open to Philippians four, two. There's two ladies in scripture who, who are remembered for only one thing, maybe two things. Maybe they're remembered for how weird their names were. But the number one thing that they're remembered for is this, Philippians four, two. Think about this. Think about if you actually got to have your name written, preserved in scripture for the whole world to remember you for the rest of your life, but it was for this. Paul said, I plead with you, Odia, and I plead with Sintiki, to be of the same mind in the Lord. Paul actually, God had Paul write down the names of two ladies who couldn't get along who went to the same church. And I thought, man, as a leader, if, like if I had to leave our church today and never come back for five years, and I began to write individually to the leadership of the church to make sure that they kept things together and kept things going strong, I thought, are there any people in the leadership of our church help carrying the vision that don't like each other, that don't get along, that I would have to say, hey, this one, get over your stuff and get along with this one? And I thought, gosh, there probably is. And I thought, we are like the Philippi church. We are like the the Exodus generation. We complain, 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 complain. Paul said, stop complaining, stop arguing with each other. Can you imagine forever being remembered for a bad attitude? You know, my challenge to you this week, before I jump off this point, my challenge is, is, I propose for our church a zero Tolerance, complain-free week for seven days. And here's my goal, that you don't complain one time this week about anything. And as soon as you begin to complain, you stop yourself, and you just begin to keep track of how many stupid things you would have complained about, and you begin to check your heart. Or just start looking on Facebook and count how many posts on Facebook are negative complaining thoughts versus how many are real positive things. And look at the generation of complainers and arguers and conflict that we live in say, Christian, why do you propose that? Two reasons. One, because I want you to begin to live a a life of at least lesser complaining, if not no complaining. I want you to be aware of your attitude and and some things in your life that need to be be changed. But two, because of what the Apostle Paul says is so important in regards to our attitude. See, I, I believe the two biggest attitude problems in the church, one, is a lack of awareness, but two, a lack of understanding the influence that attitude has on our world. And this is where I really want to dig in today because in Philippians 2.15, I want you to see what Paul says here. Paul says, Do everything without complaining and arguing. Okay, why? So that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then, I want you to circle the word then. See, only when you can become someone who doesn't complain and argue, then you'll shine among them like stars in the sky. Paul said, listen, our goal on planet Earth is to to draw people to Jesus through our life. But you cannot do that if you live constantly complaining, arguing, in conflict, griping about stuff. No one's ever going to be attracted to your life if that's the way you live and operate in your life. And what's interesting is that your attitude has influence whether or not you want it to. And your attitude makes you stand out whether or not you realize that. And and let me give you a, a little theology lesson. The word theology means a knowledge of God. Let me tell you the knowledge of God that people who don't go to church have of people who do go to church. And I think they recognize it more than we recognize it. In John 15, 15, Jesus tells his disciples, I call you friends. I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. In John 15, 15, Jesus says, you and I are friends in Amos 3 3 Amos said why would anyone walk together unless they have agreed to do so Amos is this way people don't hang out together and like each other unless they're the same type of person Here's what the outside world Understands about people who call themselves Christians. They say oh you're a Christian you're friends with Jesus you and Jesus are the same and they look at us and make a decision about Jesus now, we would like to say, oh, I'm not Jesus. And, you know, I, you don't look at me and make your decision on Jesus. They understand more about our relationship to Jesus than we do, that we have a big, fat target on our back, and we are a representation of Jesus. The apostle Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. He said, here's the awareness of your influence that you have to have. Paul said, we, therefore, are Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you then on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Now, I didn't understand this thought of ambassadors and embassy, uh, embassies in, until I went overseas. And for those of you who go to Israel with us next November, we, we will every day when we're in Jerusalem, between our hotel and downtown Jerusalem, we walk by the American embassy. And every time we were there this year, the, the guy who was leading our trip would pat the walls and he would say, there's America. I said, what do you mean there's America? Right there on the other side of the fence, There's America. He said, this is Israel. This is Jerusalem. He said, not that. That's America. You see, the sovereign ground of an embassy is actually American territory. It's where Israel has said, this this plot of ground right here, that's America. That's a little bit of America in Israel. God literally says in 2 Corinthians 5.20, when he implants the spirit of God in you, you are Jesus' property here on planet Earth. So we live in a country that's not our own spiritually, but we we are, listen, we don't like to hear this, but this is a reality of our influence. We are Jesus. We are Jesus. Our life, our attitudes, our property. We, we are not citizens of this world according to Scripture. We are citizens of Jesus' world. We are his sovereign property. When you're with us, you're with Jesus according to the Bible. Yet some people, if that is true, would never want to be with Jesus because they don't want to be with you. Why? Because you got a bad attitude. Something in your life has gone wrong that they don't want to be around. And some of you say, I don't don't like that. Then don't call yourself a Christian. But if you're going to follow Jesus, and you're going to to want to have influence for Jesus, that's why the apostle Paul says he he starts this entire chapter. Before he gets to quit arguing, his first statement is in Philippians 2.5. In your relationships with one another, you've got to have the same mindset as Jesus. Like Paul is telling us, oh, by the way, if you want to have influence over people spiritually, you got to be like Jesus. Well, how do I be like Jesus? Later on, he'll say, stop complaining. Stop arguing. Because people are looking at you, and they're trying to find out about Jesus, so you need to fix your attitude. In Philippians 2.5, in the New Living Translation, he states it pretty bluntly. you got to have the same attitude that Jesus had. What, what is that attitude? It's a good attitude. It's a Jesus attitude. You know, as I was thinking of the reality of this text this weekend, and by the way, this is not a heaven or hell text. Say, what do you mean by that? Most people come into church and say, okay, I don't want to do what's going to send me to hell. I do want to do what's going to send me to heaven. It's all about me. This is not a heaven or hell text. This is not about you. This is about people who don't know Jesus yet trying to find out who Jesus is. Paul says, if you want people to know who Jesus is, then you've got to act like Jesus. And if you're going to act like Jesus, you've got to not complain. So I start thinking to myself, God, how, um, how can I help people see who Jesus is. And and I in my head I thought this. How how can I be a good Christian so that people will see Jesus influence in me? And God said Christian, you got it backwards. This text is not saying be a good Christian so people can see Jesus in you. This text is saying be a good person so that when someone sees that you're different, they'll ask why, then they'll realize you are a Christian, then they'll be attracted to Jesus. And I, and I had all these questions enter my mind that I wrote down. And I thought, well, can, can you ever be seen as a good Christian if you're not first seen as a good person? I don't want to say you can't. Some of you are, are Christians, but people don't see you as good people. Can you be a good Christian and a bad parent to the outside world looking in, trying to figure out if there's something different, trying to be attracted to your life? Can you be a good Christian and a bad spouse? Oh, I love Jesus dearly, but I just I'm going to ignore my husband or my wife. To the outside world, what, what does that look like? Can you be a good Christian and a bad neighbor? I never want to speak to my neighbors. I never want to treat them with kindness. I never want to engage them in conversation. Oh, but I want them to know that I love Jesus. So you want them to know that you love Jesus, but you don't care if they know if you love them. Um, can you be a good Christian, but a poor employee? Show up late, leave early, do a bad job, but then invite people to church and you know, hope that they'll, they'll come and live life like you. Can you be a good Christian, but an unfair boss? I go to church on Sunday, I read my Bible, but I treat treat my employees poorly. Can you be a good Christian, but an unethical businessman who climbs the ladder, you know, through doing things that are a little shady here and there, but you want people to think you're a good Christian? Can you be a good Christian, but but a poor sport when you compete with people and you lose? Can you be a good Christian and a constant complainer in every meeting, at every coffee, at every lunch you're complaining about something and you're hoping people will see Jesus in you? Can you be a good Christian who constantly talks down to people? Or a good? can you ever be seen as a good Christian when you're constantly talking about other people? Can you be a good Christian who loves to argue and play devil's advocate in life or on Facebook just just for fun? Can you be a good Christian but have no self-worth and always throw a pity party for yourself? So Jesus has added so much value to your life, but you hate your life and it's no good. Does that make Jesus attractive to people? Can you be a good Christian who acts like a jerk to people that they don't know or don't like. But you want to influence them for Jesus. Several years ago, I went out to dinner with a pastor just south of Branson, Missouri, who had invited us down to look at his church and do some things around his church. He was an older gentleman. And he was so rude to the waitress at dinner at one point that she started crying because they messed up his meal. And I thought to myself, I will never be seen in public with this man again. I don't care if he's a pastor. I don't care how he preaches. I don't care how much he reads his Bible. This is not a good guy. And if people look at him and think Jesus, no one will ever love Jesus. But it's easy to lay that on others without looking at ourselves and seeing what attitude flaws are keeping people from seeing Jesus in us. Here, here's the very good news and bad news of church as I understand Philippians chapter 2. If our church is filled like, with people like you, for many of you, if our church is filled with people like you, there's going to want to be a lot of people who will come to our church. But... If our church is filled with people like you for some of you, no one will ever want to come to our church. Here's the good and bad news of evangelism and and letting people see who Jesus is. If Christians are like you for some of you, a lot of people are going to want to know who Jesus is. But if Christians are like you for some of you, some people will never go near Jesus because they don't like to be around you. And, And we have a desire as a church to stand out because we want Jesus to stand out. But before people ever recognize Jesus and before people ever recognize our church, they'll recognize you and they'll make a decision based on spiritual things based on you and your attitude. Not your devotions, they don't see that. Not your prayer life, they don't see that. Not how much you give in the offering, they don't see that. Not based on what you do at church, they don't see that. How you are in the yard, how you are at the baseball games, how you are at work, how you are when things disappoint you. They're looking at your attitude to figure out whether or not Jesus is attractive to them, and some of us are given a very bad representation. I love what Paul says here. Paul says, if you grasp this, you're going to stand out. And he said, you'll stand out like the stars on a starry night. Man, I love looking at the stars on, on a starry night. I like being out in the woods when there's no lights around, and you can just, it seems like you can see the whole Milky Way galaxy. You know, I, I'm kind of a star and moon junkie. Last night I went to check my mail after the rain had kind of stopped, and, and it was right in that twilight hour where the sun was still in the sky, and the moon was in the sky, and the stars were starting to come out. And I know because I love to study creation that God created the sun, moon, and stars on day four. And as I was walking across the street, I was just looking and I said, man, God, thank you for day four. This stuff is so cool. And, and it's been here. Like, I love to look at the stars in the sky. But here's a fact. There are many days that the stars are out and we can't see them because there's a layer of fog in between or, or cloud cover or rain or storms. And I thought, man, that is the exact way that our church and every church in our city operates. There are people in our church whose attitude is so good it stands out, and the whole world is drawn to them and through them Jesus, but a lot of times you can't see them because they're surrounded by foggy, cloudy Christians who they really love Jesus, but their attitudes are just so bad. They constantly complain or they constantly argue or they constantly gossip, and it's like they're never going to have a conversation with someone who loves Jesus if you are what a person who loves Jesus looks like. And I thought about this message, and all week long, I've been catching myself all week long, getting ready ready to complain about something simple, getting ready to complain about something stupid, getting ready to argue about something, and I've just thought, stop. If I want to influence people for Jesus, I can't, I've got to have a better attitude. And what's really interesting is, is God spoke this into me this week. He said, Christian, a lot of people, their attitude is in their DNA, not their heart. Let me say that to you again. Their bad attitude is in their DNA. It's not in their heart. And I start saying, "You God, show me what you mean by that. And he said, well, a lot of people, when you look at their negativity or their brooding, discouragement, depressing, their negativity, their sarcasm, their wit, their gossip, literally they've been like that all their life and they've been raised that way. It's in their, It's who they are. It's not their heart. It's just in their DNA. It's, it's how they are shaped, how, how they are created. And he showed me a story of of what needs to happen for people who have negative DNA but not negative hearts. Because some of you are sitting in here and you're like me. Your negative DNA is, is causing you to have a bad attitude. But it's not really your spirit. And you're like a lot of people in the first service. And you're like, man, I need to quit complaining. And I need to be more grateful. And I need to quit doing this and this and this. And, and you're, just, you're trying to figure out how you do that. And God sent me to Numbers chapter 16. And in Numbers chapter 16, we meet two boys that are relatives of of a man that the the Bible only calls the sons of Korah. And there's two guys in Numbers chapter 16 who were upset with Moses and upset with God. And they basically got their family together and they basically said, look, it's not fair that Moses gets to be closer to God than we are. And it's not fair that God doesn't tell us what's going on. So we're going to rebel against Moses and tell Moses we want the same thing he has. They were called the sons of Korah. And they got 250 people to help them in this rebellion. And they went to Moses and they threw all their complaints to Moses. And Moses looked at God and said, God, just kill them. And God said, all right, I'll do it tomorrow. I mean, it's a true story. That's on number 16 one. So the next morning, Moses went out to them and he called the guys out of their tents. And he called the rest of their family out of their tents who were around them. And Moses said, now here's what's going to happen. Um, God is going to kill some people today because of their bad attitudes and their constant complaining. But some of you have followed along with them just, just because they're family. You don't really mean it. It's not really in your heart. You don't want to have a negative attitude about everything. You just do because you're associated with them. So I'm going to give those of you who it's in your DNA but it's not in your heart, I'm going I'm to give you a chance to step back. And after you have decided whether or not the, the, the negative attitude is in your DNA or in your heart... After I've given you a chance to step back, everyone who they're really negative in their heart, God's just going to go ahead and kill them today. And the Bible says that everyone but these two families stepped back and said, I realize I've been negative. I realize I've been complaining. I realize I've been ungrateful. I realize that my attitude stinks and no one wants to be around me. I realize that, but that's not who I want to be. So I'm going to take a step back, and I'm going to let God deal with them, but but not me. I'm going to let God give me another chance. You know, as I was reading these attitudes today, you know, I I thought about people saying, you know, it's just the way I am. Listen, that's biblically incorrect theology. People who say to me, when I say, you know, you need to quit being so sarcastic. You need to quit being so negative. You need to quit talking about me. You need to quit gossiping. Christian, that's just the way I am. I say, no, that's just the way you were. Because the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5:17, when anyone comes to Christ, he's a new creation. So I don't care what you've dragged in from your family and your past. I don't care how you are. That's how you were. You need to change now if you're going to follow Jesus. Because Jesus is trying to influence the world around us, and people are watching us so that they can know who Jesus is. And I made a list this week. What are some things in my DNA that are not in my heart? I wrote down a list, and I've already shared them with you. Now, some of you thought that I was talking about you when I went over the list. It was really me. I have people all the time who hear stuff in a message, and they say, did you put that in there for me? Uh, you know, were, did, you, did you think I have that attitude? Sometimes, but not today. This one is, this one is, is my list, um, just personally. You know, I looked at what's in my DNA that keeps people from seeing Jesus. Sometimes I can be really negative. I can. I struggle to be positive. Sometimes I can be really negative. Sometimes... Um, I'm extremely pessimistic with things. And it's not that I want to see worst case scenario. It's, it's just um, that I do. Sometimes I'm very skeptical. And I, I struggle to just trust the best intentions of all people at all times. Sometimes I'm brooding. You know, and my staff will tell you and my kids will tell you. Sometimes I just get locked in and something will go wrong and I'll, I'll just be unhappy. I used to be really sarcastic. Six months into dating my wife, we were driving from the college campus to Applebee's, and I used to have a comment about everyone or everything. And Daniel just looked at me. I drove by someone, made some stupid comment, and she said, you know, you really have to quit doing that. You have a comment for every person and everything sarcastically, and I, I would rather you not do that anymore. Just really called me on the carpet. I have a tendency in my soul to be really arrogant in my DNA. To think only about myself and to think well of myself, to be self absorbed, have a tendency to be argumentative. Uh, you know, I, I started as a pre law major. I like to argue, I like to win arguments. It's just fun to me to, to do that kind of stuff. But I won't even talk politics with people anymore, even though there are some things I'm passionate about. I'm more passionate about Jesus than politics, so I'm not going to do anything that starts an argument. Um, I used to play devil's advocate. Yeah, I know this, but what about this? I used to and still struggle to not live in worst case scenario. Like, this is my DNA. This is who I was at 16 and 18 and 25 and 30. This is who I am at 35. If I don't choose to put those attitudes aside to try to shine for Jesus. My question is, which of the attitudes do you have? As, as you're looking and thinking and listening today, what has God been speaking to you about in your spirit that, that's not going to cause you to go to hell, but that's going to keep someone else from going to heaven because they're never going to see or be attracted to Jesus because your attitude is so poor because all you do is complain and gripe and you got little wars going on with everyone in your life and you go out with one and talk about the other and then go out with the other and talk about the one. And it's like, just stop it, man. Just stop that. What do you need to get right in your heart today? As we look at our next steps, and I'll tell you, I had a major challenge between services on the bottom of your, your notes. Um, my, our production team was laughing today because they were all back there complaining. For some reason, we only got one out of three next steps on here today. And I saw that, and I am a perfectionist, you know. I saw that and thought, ah, I'm going to go crazy. And I thought, no, they can just write it down. So you're, you're going to have to write a little more. Forgive me that they're not all on there. But I got three things I need you to do. I need you to write these down if this message is going to have impact on you. Um, first, I need you to evaluate your inner attitude and what I would call the outflow of your attitude in your life. What's in, what bad attitude is in your DNA that you have to be aware of and that you need to change if you want to influence people for Jesus? Bullet point number two. This isn't going to be on your notes. so You're going to have to write shorthand or do whatever you need to do to get it on there. You need to ask, if you can't come up with a bunch, or even after you've come up with something, you need to ask somebody close to you to evaluate your attitude honestly, yet gently. Ask somebody, what do people think of me? What do people think of my attitude? Um, what, do, what do people say about, you know, do, do people want to hang out with me? Is there anything negative I'm doing that turns people off? Ask your spouse, ask your kids, ask somebody at work that you trust who will evaluate you Honestly, yet gently. And then thirdly, understand the spiritual influence of your attitude. You know, it's the goal of our church, as we say often, our mission statement, to see people far from God become passionate Christians who make a difference in the world. How do we attract people far from God to Jesus? According to Paul, a lot of it is through our attitude. A lot of it is through things in our life that they see, that they appreciate, that they admire, that they desire, that they want. And something in that leads to, why are they different than everyone else? How come when everyone else gets together in a room and gossips, they don't? How come when everyone else complains, they go with the flow? How come when everyone else has at least one bad day a week, they're always happy? What's different about them? And it will lead to an opportunity to talk to someone about Jesus. And I'm telling you, I have been kicked in the butt so hard this week by these two verses that like I am bruised. My backside spiritually is bruised because God has made me tremendously aware of what a bad attitude I have so often in my life. And God has made me aware that the church as a whole needs to be aware of this. They need to understand its influence. And you need to, regardless of how you are, you need to become better so that people will see, know, be attracted to, and love Jesus, like the mission of our church is trying to accomplish. So with that said, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you in Jesus' name today. And Lord, we're grateful for this text in Philippians chapter 2, yet at the same time, we're extremely challenged. At least I know that I am. Because God, you have revealed some real spiritual flaws in me that serve to turn people off spiritually that serve to make sure that people aren't attracted to what's in my heart and in my soul spiritually. And God, I pray for our church because if we are a church that understands the big picture and we pray and we read our Bibles and we go to church and we serve at church and we go on mission trips But like in our normal life, if we just live with poor attitudes all the time and we're negative and we're critics and we complain and we argue and we're divisive, no one will ever see what Jesus is really doing in us but us. And God, I thank you for Paul's challenge to this church he loved, to this church he bragged on. They didn't have much to get right, but they needed to get this right. They had to stop complaining. They had to stop arguing. They had to quit being so ungrateful. They had to quit being a crooked and perverse generation that just could never be satisfied with with what God had given, but always needed more, and even when they got more, complained that it wasn't just a little more. Help us not to be those people in American Christianity in 2013, but help us to live with gratitude, awareness, help us to actually have positive influence. Let people, when they look at the spiritual sky of their world, see our life shining and think, that is an impressive life. What's different about them? And God, I pray that they'll see Jesus in us. With every head bowed and every eye closed today, I I just want you right now to maybe just talk to God in your own heart. I want you right now to just tell God what he has revealed to you. Maybe you've got an attitude or three or ten like me that you have inherited throughout your life. But they've they've got to be buried if you're going to have influence for Jesus outside of church. Maybe you want to pray about the person that will help hold you accountable to make sure these attitudes are not a reality. And maybe you just need to pray and say something as simple as, God, forgive me for complaining about so much. Help me to focus on the blessings, not to have a critical crooked spirit when when I've been blessed with so much. God, I feel like we really as a church need you in this area. Because you've called us to show you to this community. And, and we can't do that without having the attitude of Jesus. That's an attitude that doesn't complain, argue, write, bicker, divide. It's an attitude that stands out as something different. And God, I pray for every man, woman, teenager, child in this service That you'll convict us to the heart. Keep this verse bouncing around in our head until it shapes us to be more like you. Do everything without complaining so you can stand out and show people Jesus. We love you. We absolutely need your help to focus on this and to do it. So help us. We ask these things in Jesus' name today. And everyone said...